Times a charm, but this is episode 69 Escape from the Planet of the Apes from 1971. I am your host, the human Michael, and welcome to this apetastic episode. I can't wait to get to. This is a movie that I've been wanting to do since I started the show, and this is supposed to be a big year of new part three. So there's a whole lot coming up, but I also want to get to a bunch I've been meaning to get around to. And joining me tonight, first up, the unofficial co-host, the man himself, Brian Rodriguez. Welcome back, Brian. Happy to be here. Happy to crash land once again on Third Time's a Charm. And oh, it seems we have a Howling 3 reunion today, possibly from the future himself. Welcome back, Austin Wolf Southern. Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be back here in the past. So Planet of the Apes, one of my all-time favorite franchises. I love the old ones. I have mixed feelings about the newer ones. The Tim Burton one's just completely mental. Austin, I'd like to start with you because um, I invited you on the show in particular because I happen to know you got some cats. You got some cool cats. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, from watching some of your videos on YouTube, they make some guest appearances. And one of them, at least, is named Zira. Yes, I did name one of my daughters Zira. Am I correct in assuming that's because you are as well a fan of the Planet of the Apes? That's 100%. She's named after Zira from Planet of the Apes. I learned later, much later, because I looked up like other cats named Zira to see if there were any or if it was like, I don't know, it's just a good name. And I did see that there's a character named Zira in The Lion King 2 or two and a half or something. So that's an actual like feline character, I guess. But yeah, for me, it's named after the Planet of the Apes. She has always been one of my favorite characters. Has anyone ever been like Zira, Lion King 2, Kovu's mom? Wait, you know the character? Googled it quickly. I just want to freak you out. No, that has never come up. People just ask what it's from. And a surprising amount of people don't know what Planet of the Apes is. When what? I say wow. what she's named after. I haven't seen it or, you know, aren't familiar enough to remember character names. I consider my girls my daughters and I have no intention of ever having a human child. But if I did, I think it would be a good name for a human child. Like I love this character so much. Like if I had a, a human daughter, I think Zero would be like up there on a list of possibilities. But I have something so much better with a cat instead. Yeah, she's lovely. She got to watch some of the movie today and hear her name <laughs> over and over. Definitely have a connection to this movie. I'm happy to be here. I know we had to like reschedule a little for me. Like I would have been devastated not to be here because oh. this movie and the character Zero in particular really does mean a lot to me. So thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. And and I think I'm right there with you. Dr. Zira, uh, portrayed by Kim Hunter, this character is up there. Like, you know, she's pre-Ripley as far as I'm concerned in like sci-fi strong women role models. And isn't she one of your Hollywood crushes, Dr. Zira? No, it's actually Roddy McDowell. That, oh that God, to me absolutely. is... Uh, my Hollywood crush. There's a funny quick story from what I understand. Charlton Heston on the red carpet didn't recognize Kim Hunter out of makeup, uh, even though she had been in like Streetcar Named Desire. I'm sorry, F him? Like she's like an accomplished actor in like a lot of stuff. It's not just like this movie. That's insane. That's a rumor anyway. But Escape from the Planet of the Apes Part 3, this is definitely Zira's film. Uh, so I can't mm. wait to, to get into that. But Austin, like uh, how far does it go back with you as far as like the original movie? Are you into like what the new trilogy has sort of tried to do with the series, or are you mostly here for Zira in the way that I'm kind of here for Cornelius? I like it beyond just the one character. I love the original series. You know, I don't remember exactly how young, but I, when I first saw Planet of the Apes, I did have like kind of a crush on Zira. Nice. For, you know, whatever reason. I mean, maybe just because her character was so appealing to me but i saw the full series the full quintilogy in high school i heard about the concept of it of how it kind of is a time loop and how it circles <laughs> around and i just found that so intriguing so i watched all the movies really loved them i've owned them on like every format so like i had like a five vhs set of the movies and then i have a bust of an ape head 
that has DVDs. <laughs> you can open the back and there's DVDs wow. in it. Wow, that's really cool. Is it the lawgiver? Is it lawgiver himself? Or I've always wanted a lawgiver lawn statue, the way some people have religious statues in their yard. I believe it's Caesar. It's kind of hard to tell. It, it's definitely one of the Roddy McDowell characters. <laughs> so I thought it was Cornelius for a long time, but I think it's actually Caesar. So yeah, it's him. And it has all of the original movies. It has the Tim Burton movie. It has the two TV series came with it as well the cartoon and the live action right yeah exactly and this this came out before the new movie so it doesn't have those so those are dvds but i still obviously kept it because it's a fucking bust of a head (laughs) (laughs) but now i have you know the collection on blu-ray as well so always been a part of my life something about the first movie and the third movie in particular just really mm-hmm. have always stuck with me and struck me and I just love them and I I've seen the first one in the theater like on film a couple of times and that's been really special and I I just think it's such a amazing I mean the first one has some like kind of clunky stuff in it but it's just an amazing sci-fi story of its time and it's just it's always been really impactful for me and this the third one was my favorite sequel it, well it's definitely my favorite sequel but it was my favorite like of all of them for a long time and now i it's hard to compare with the first one yeah i definitely have a soft spot for the first one i remember like i was about 13 when i first saw it i, I didn't know the ending you know so like that was crazy mm-hmm. when uh when that revelation hit i was like oh my god and then i found out there were more of them my favorite of the original series is like one three and four i think four gets just like insane uh, i love where it goes like it's mm-hmm. such a reflection of its time i wasn't fully aware going out on the apes journey how much time travel and it was involved in the time loop and all that and so that just made me even more intrigued and, and i would say the book is one of the few books i've read more than twice like that mm-hmm. probably the godfather <laughs> like um very select few books and and this movie in particular is is sort of like a reflection of the novel like a lot of this is what happens to the human astronaut is like sort of how they treat the apes here becomes a celebrity gets a human pregnant has to sort of flee for his life i believe he escapes but when he gets back to earth like it's inhabited by apes so he, he's doomed anyway but yeah this series has always stuck with me for just tons of reasons and also because of just the the design the like the john chambers makeup and the design work and all that stuff is just so iconic and uh Speaking of iconic, Brian Rodriguez, what is your past with the apes? And have you seen all the flicks? Was this the first time you've seen this one? I genuinely don't know if I've seen them all. I feel like I have, but sort of TV marathon style, right? Always loved the first one. Unfortunately, Spaceball spoiled it for me. I mean, it's still a great ending. You could watch that now and be like, holy shit at the ending and know what's coming. And that's like, you know, the tell of a great film, right? always loved the performances i'm not i've not seen the new ones i've seen the tim burton one in the theater unfortunately but i have not seen the newest ones so i really don't know what happens in those like you know i'll ask some questions here or there but these are just amazing and watching this one like truly in a more analytical mode today was an absolute delight it exceeded my expectations i can't wait for you to elaborate on on those and so were you saying you sort of had low expectations and that this blew them out of the water as far as like the themes and the subject matter and like yes kind of like how how real and raw it starts to get by the end yes because i watched them so long ago all the sequels sort of blurred together for me so watching it just again in this like front to back format like this just like a movie should be seen again it was very very exciting for me and mike another like little background is you and i both love roddy mcdowell so yep. i'm glad that this is like the backdoor pilot for roddy mcpodcast a hopeful future podcast in the long and illustrious career of Roddy McDowell. I forgot how many like IMDb credits he has, but it's an insane amount. It would take us years, years to do, but something we should dive into. I know you wanted to kind of format it more in a Poseidon Adventure style, but... I don't know. I think he needs a full deep dive. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that was just sort of uh, the name, the pod-sided adventure or the or the McDowell adventure or something along those lines. It was just watching the Poseidon adventure over and over and over again. Not that I don't want to do that. Not that I don't do that. <laughs> I think that's what he was off making instead of being in the beneath the planet of the apes because Roddy McDowell actually missed one of these movies. He missed one. He's in four of the original five movies. 
playing Cornelius and his own son, Caesar. But when I get the plot out of the way, and then we can sort of talk about it freely, we could jump around, talk about favorite moments, or uh, go through it front to back. But one thing I do like about this, Brian, I think you touched on a little bit, though, is I almost don't need to have seen any of the other Planet of the Apes movies to enjoy this one. And I feel like like it plays really well on its own. It explains a lot of stuff that, you know, the first two movies go over. And I could see someone like watching this one for the first time as their first Apes movie and enjoying it for it just being a bizarre science fiction film. But anyway, here we go. So... Three apes have crash landed on the shores of California and the military, they rescue them and they find out that they are in fact apes and not astronauts. They're in Taylor's ship, that's Charlton Heston's character, and it appears they have somehow traveled back in time from the moment of the Earth's destruction to the 70s. They are taken to the zoo because they don't know what to do with them. And they are interviewed and examined by a couple of nice doctors who are sort of the Zira and Cornelius human counterparts for this movie. There is also the evil bureaucrat and they're brought in front of a committee. It is seen that they can speak. Zira sort of lets it slip that they're from the future. In the future, humans are dumb. Apes are smart. Uh, it comes to light that she is a doctor that has actually examined and dissected many humans. Turns out that Zira is pregnant. They are seen as a threat because their child will bring about the end of human civilization as we know it, creating the war for the planet of the apes. So therefore, it is decided that the baby will be euthanized and Zira and Cornelius will pretty much be neutered. But the ulterior motive is that they will most likely be executed. So they go on the run and they come across Ricardo Montalban, who runs a circus that is going through town where they baby swap with a newborn chimpanzee there so that later in the movie when Cornelius and Zira are tracked down and hunted like animals and shot to death as well as their baby chimpanzee, the actual talking ape will go on to grow up under the guidance of Ricardo Montalban and live to see the day where he will take over the world. <laughs> and uh, that is kind of where they end it. Rest in peace, Zira and Cornelius. Uh, <laughs> Did I leave anything out? No, I think we could end the podcast right there. No, I mean, you sure you sure included the ending. What I thought was so good about just the setup is that I thought that I missed a Planet of the Apes movie. I know it's Third Time's a Charm. I know it's the third one, obviously. But I was like, wait, is there a movie with this character where we see all this, like her getting pregnant and all that stuff? But there isn't, right? No. No, right? Like, I'm like, no, there's none of that. <laughs> okay. No, Dr. Milo has never been referenced. <laughs> before i feel like i missed a movie but not in a bad way i feel like they missed a movie in a good way because like they set it up like all these things actually happened well what's kind of cool is in the second movie beneath the planet of the apes they're not really in it that much as characters they show up in the beginning to kind of do a whole recap for the audience you know and and then the new guy like goes off to find charlton heston underneath old new york city and they battle each other because there's like psychic mutants and stuff and it kind of goes off the rails in a terrific way but you we don't know what they've been up to so they could just you know be getting it on during the rest of that but but likely it's that dr milo like found the ship and got it prepared and i i assume that she got pregnant when they got back into the past she says something i forget what the line is but she says something that clarifies that it was like during the war it was actually before they left yeah i thought for sure that it happened like in the swanky hotel um <laughs> <laughs> but she does say that it happened uh, before they left. I agree that this stands on its own. I even deliberately like didn't rewatch any of the other ones to just watch this like as its own thing. And of course, it helps to know the backstory and to know the the ongoing story or what comes next. But I do like how this stands on its own, and it I mean almost to a fault because it it's confusing like they start with these three characters as if they're established characters and one of them is not <laughs> <laughs> and is like immediately and taken is out immediately of the dispatched <laughs> yeah so i mean i was actually confused as well watching it where i was like oh i don't remember dr milo it's because he didn't exist before they just you know i mean he was in the background somewhere he wasn't like an established part of the canon yeah and, and what's even funnier to that point 
Austin, is that they're going to try and establish what's to come by setting up Aldo, the first talking ape. And in the next movie, it's not going to be Aldo. It's going to be their kid Caesar. So like, I start thinking that there was like a timeline A, and then they went back and they're fucking with it. And now they've like altered it a little bit. And it's like going to be timeline B, sort of like back to the future style. Like, you know, like yeah. they've changed things without realizing it. I think so too. And I, I think that's something interesting about this series because there are some contradictions in the mythology. And one thing in particular that you can't really reconcile is Zira and Cornelius like explain how the apes rose or they explain the uprising of the apes and them being put into slavery by the humans and then like revolting and fighting back but in the original movie neither of those two characters know that humans ever spoke or were anything but animals yeah yeah it was the whole end was that cornelius had been at the dig site like he's an archaeologist and that was his whole theory yeah he had a theory about it they talk about it as if this is what they learned in ape school or something it was absolutely secret dr zayas like kind of knew but it was something that was kept like very hush hush so <laughs> there are certainly contradictions but that also like it works so well in the context of this movie and just saying like here's how it happened and just explaining everything like in just this one movie it's such a perfect loop and i also think it's interesting that this was the only movie that they like expected to make another one after it oh that makes sense yeah yeah so it's like setting up a sequel and i actually think this would be or it could be like a perfect ending to just like let you imagine what happens next with you know with the baby talking yeah i'd agree if, if they hadn't delivered so hard on the next one like that's what's crazy is like well I yeah think, like but the problem with the next one is like okay we're ready to we got to top that and then it just kind of tapers out yeah part of my criticism there is that battle i like it but it doesn't really do anything exciting or make a whole lot of sense as far as how it comes to be it's got paul williams as an ape so that's kind of fun but battle for the planet of the apes makes it seem like it becomes a planet of the apes within like 30 years correct yeah the timeline starts getting very wobbly i like to think that all these movies mean including the new ones which i haven't seen including the tim burton one that like there are these different timelines but no matter what apes are going to take over right so it might be in 30 years it might be in 300 years and we're just seeing different timelines there's this idea that cornelius and such like the ones we're seeing are not necessarily from the timeline of the films we saw they might refer to events there but maybe it's like slightly altered so like their explanation of what happened like it is a little different i don't know if only they were monkeys it could be the monkey but it's like (laughs) they do not want to be called monkeys no but like that multiverse it's kind of cool too like this feels like the nexus point in a lot of ways of the series they've traveled back maybe not for the first time but like for for this set of characters i like your theory brian too it's like it's very sort of terminator it's like what they've sort of declared you know once that series got kind of too confusing to follow they're like well there's a terminator multiverse where like time travels branches off and splits off and it's like okay i'm down for whatever like marvel's going there now so like i'm on board whenever you want to do multiverse but i also remember when the tim burton version came out and some of the promotional materials for the dvd they were trying to say that like mark Wahlberg was traveling through some kind of like dimensional portals and what exactly sort of what you're saying i think they they were mm-hmm. been trying to do that with the franchise yeah, I think that works. I think Albert Einstein gets a lot of credit for his innovations in science, but doesn't get enough credit for his innovations in modern filmmaking tools where you can justify almost anything by talking about, you know, relativity and time and the flat circle that it all is. So, like, it really justifies so many, like, crappy movie decisions. Like, oh, that's just a different timeline, right? So, and I'm in favor of it. I think it's cool. Well, I mean, you know, it'll prepare us in the eventuality that those things are real, right? Like, I think like, film helps us do that with a lot of basic stuff. So, like, why not with the bigger things? Like, I, I mean, that's one reason I really, truly appreciate the Jet Li film, The One, you know, where he travels from dimension to dimension, killing other versions of himself to absorb their power until there is just one. Love it. 
like really helps you <laughs> kind of like understand the concept of uh, interdimensional travel. And would all you that, so. would you really want to meet though another version of yourself in a different dimension? Because for me, it would either be someone who I'm jealous of because they've used the same tools that I have to do more, or someone I'm really disappointed in because they've used these same tools and somehow done less with them. Right? I don't think I want to meet the other me's in other dimensions. There's no benefit to it, at least for me. Well, the benefit is if you kill them, you absorb their power. And this true. Good point. I forgot <laughs> in this about example. That. What if one of them's an ape? Like you've you've traveled to the ape verse, and uh, you know it's exactly like this, except our podcasts are run by apes. I don't need that in my life, though. You know, I don't need. <laughs> I don't know what needs that, but I'm just you know, it's fun to think about. One of my favorite parts of this movie isn't like a specific moment per se. I love how much the apes are wearing you know, like modern clothes. Well, first, I, I love all the fashion in this. I love them showing up and taking their helmets off. That's like a great reveal. That's a beautiful shot with the three of them. But I also love all of the outfits that mm. Cornelius and Zira end up wearing later in this, all the human outfits they end up wearing later in this movie. I wish they kept up with it. I wish there was a lot more of it. They have a shopping montage, which is incredible that this movie has a shopping montage. And they, you know, kind of model their outfits for each other and they wear them for a bit, but they go back to their old outfits pretty quick, which I found a little disappointing. I wanted to see more of them in the human clothes. Yeah, he puts on like the the suit and she wears that purple dress a lot. I think she also wears it to the museum. They've got like, not the smoking jacket, but he's wearing like a, a robe. Yeah, I, I love it. I think they look fabulous. I only want more of it. The movie takes like such a dark turn so quickly when they find out that Zero's pregnant. It just reverts back to we get back in our ape clothes and put them in some sort of room to be you know a lot of surveillance and stuff like they're mm. no longer treated like the celebrity that they were that's true yeah it's it's an interesting choice right because like realistically they probably would have area 51 to this right like lock them down not like let's do a press conference with the press they can't ask questions but we'll take them on a fashion tour and she'll speak in front of the women's league but that's so much more fun and i'm so glad they made that decision and then when we get the ending and, and the stuff that happens there to me it made it so much more impactful because i'm like wow this movie's like a fun romp like oh if the apes existed among us it would be so cool and fun and then it gets really dark and i'm kind of glad it does because it was more jarring that way like it, it didn't feel like a dark movie mm. i wanted more silly montages and the fact that they took it all away from us and and again we get the dark and crazy ending that we get with all like our favorite characters dying executed executed it's sensational to me yeah which is in keeping with the series you know i mean the first one has a tragic ending second one as well for yeah. taylor anyway it's kind of like his world ending you know like to him it's like this was an apocalypse that like his earth has been wiped out and then the second one ends with the earth literally being destroyed <laughs> literally exploding and then this one is also like world ending in a sense you know these characters that we're attached to it's so tragic yeah i i like that it kept up with that pace of like every movie in this series has to end in tragedy i agree with that like i'd love though that this movie somehow has an ability to do what a few of them couldn't they did a little bit of it with the first one but i feel like rod serling might have written out most of the jokes during his pass of the script or something but this movie starts off as like this fun sci-fi movie it's like oh look at these aliens aren't they weird then it turns into like a campy romp like i almost expect batman to show up climbing the side of their hotel window and then it turns into like a 70s exploitation thriller where like fugitives are on the run and they're being hunted by the government and and that really carries over to the next movie where the next one is very much like a political exploitation type mm. of tone to it yeah this movie does like a lot <laughs> with what it's given it's such a great premise for for anything it's always worked so well the whole fish out of water premise like that alone works so well but when you find out that 
like the fish is gonna grow these legs and take over society and like pummel you into being extinct like i mean it's the same with like a stranger in a strange land like they they bring this guy back from mars they can't grok what he's dropping down and like they're scared he's gonna start a revolution and he does so they spoilers but like they take him out you know and that's the whole thing with the first planet of the apes in the book it's like the ultimate fish out of water kind of situation it's so fun to watch yeah, and that that is what I love about this movie is that it changes tone, you know, throughout and that it it can be so goofy at times and then it takes such a hard turn into this really dark thriller essentially where they're on the run. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that goes from a shopping montage to a baby being shot multiple times. Insane. Insane. <laughs> which is insane yeah and it just raises like so many ethical issues and like i love these conversations that are happening with the president where it's like you know obviously hitler should be killed but is it ethical to kill hitler as a baby then is it ethical to kill his ancestors which is essentially what they're discussing doing i always forget that this movie goes to the kill baby hitler argument yeah and that you know the president is kind of a good guy he's at least like hesitant (laughs) to do it but he has this advisor who's just like we need to stop this now but i think what's also great about the movie is kind of what we were talking about is that no matter what happens no matter what changes every timeline ends in the destruction of the world and apes taking over before that And I I think that's what's important is that even if they are changing history or they're doing something, because the way the story that Cornelius tells doesn't involve their kid being the first talking ape. They never went to the past like the way he tells it, it would still happen, you know, and then now we see that Zira switched out the babies. So, you know, Milo is going to become Caesar and then lead the revolt. But yeah, I think they're kind of playing with the idea that it it really, you know, the moral quandary is almost irrelevant because the world's going to end in 3955 no matter what. By the way, I don't understand because if someone told me right now the world's going to end in 3955, I'd be like, we're doing better than I thought we did if that's the case. That's very optimistic. That's another thing that could be changed. You know, that's the date they came from. Like, I mean, I feel like all of these events start to get accelerated incredibly oh, for sure. rapid. for sure. You know, and, and, mm-hmm. and a part of that is... Now knowing what's going to happen, like these apes came back and told them how it's going to happen, right? So like if they didn't know that, it probably would have taken longer, but it still would have gone on its own, like naturally. But now that they know... In, in trying to stop it, they're probably going to accelerate it. So like, mm-hmm. not to talk about the next movie too much, but in that movie, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're told what's going to happen. Like there's a disease that wipes out the animals, most of the pets. So like humanity starts sheltering apes and then the apes become more and more intelligent. So, and by the way, selfish, take- but I get it, right? And they're so right. Like if people have to start killing their pets, that would be terrible. Like there's a line like, oh, people would rather kill their own brother than kill their pet which is so true yeah of course that kind of like made so much sense to me that's all i'm gonna say that's what i love about time travel and sci-fi and i don't feel like it's being done enough i mean hopefully we'll get some some of that with i don't know unfortunately maybe it'll have to come with these superhero movies which isn't i don't consider sci-fi in this way but there's always a chance because fox has been acquired by disney and there's word they're going to reboot all of this very soon so my fingers are crossed that they lean more towards the old series and less towards this newer one that just wrapped up they confirm though it is a continuation of the new series oh the title is kingdom of the planet of the apes uh it was confirmed in october 2022 well i guess they're not doing clean slates of like star wars and indiana jones and marvels but like it just seems like the properties they're acquiring you know you would kind of reboot all that How great would it be if they came out with a sequel to the Tim Burton version? Oh my god. I'd be so down. they rebooted Planet of the Apes and it's continuing Mark Wahlberg in the weird dimension he ends up with the ape head on the Lincoln Memorial. What's going on, Ape Lincoln? What is this? (laughs) I don't get it. Why is my mother in the zoo? People criticize Marvel. People criticize all that today. I do love how they don't delete things and they just like the the newer Spider-Man where it's like all the Spider-Mans mm-hmm. are going to get together. Let's do mm-hmm. that. Let's get 
all the all the versions of the apes together. I'm sorry, I know this is sacrilegious. Let's CGI Roddy McDowell and put him in one of these films, and they're all going to meet, <laughs> and it's going to blow my mind. At least what would be really cool is to see someone in the old makeup standing next to like Paul Giamatti in his Tim Burton makeup, standing next to Andy Serkis doing the mocap makeup. You know, like get the three of them on screen together with the Spider-Man point, like you, you, you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, and they also have to uh, fight Sandman. Electro, Green Goblin. And gorillas. All in gorilla form. Oh, yeah. I do think that Burton one, it does have my favorite makeup. There's just something off about the CG that the new ones seem to. I mean, the newest one does it best, but like, I don't know. I never really fully was able to accept all of the new CG apes the way I, I hoped. I like the new ones, and I, I think Andy Serkis's performance in particular shines through the CG, and I think he's doing incredible work through the whole trilogy. I like the whole trilogy. I like all of them a lot. The first one, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I think is actually brilliant and could conceivably take place concurrently with the original timeline. The one with Franco? Yeah. James Franco one? Yeah, that was supposed to... There's like a shot of a television. There's an Easter egg, and you see like Taylor's ship taking off. That's right. Yeah. I like that, and I I mean, I guess nothing betrays that in the sequels. So they they still kind of could be in-universe, and especially if it's a multiverse where you really open up options. One thing that I don't think they explore enough is like, they're so fascinated about these apes and where they came from. And they're not like, holy shit, whatever we did just solved time travel. Like, <laughs> like let's look into that aspect of this. What I would have done was like, look at my calculations for Taylor, build the same exact thing and put the apes and maybe with one dude in there as well. Like one human. Oh, and then, send them back. Exactly. Be like, you could have your baby, but you got gotta live on this ranch you can't leave this ranch because we don't want you and then we're gonna send you back and then maybe you can undo the events that destroyed earth in that timeline that would be like my goal mission for them dude that's a great mission and it's not like they need to solve time travel to do that because originally taylor and his crew they just never woke up from suspended animation and they missed like their window i think they were maybe slingshot back out into space and then came back so the time dilation fucked with them so like their time travel wasn't like they used a device or anything it was like the normal way they slept a long time but they could do that with these apes just like cryo freeze them send them out to space on a trajectory that you know when they come back they land right after taylor or right before him or or, or a couple years before him i like that concept give it a shot you know what i mean let's not like kill babies here (laughs) just a thought another thing i think is so great about these movies and this movie is that the world always ends ultimately because of a man-made device and that's something you know you see the humans like the presidential advisor he's like oh we have to kill these apes like it doesn't occur to him to like oh maybe we shouldn't make a nuclear weapon (laughs) like that's what blows up the earth you know like the apes are having a war but what blows up the earth is someone presses a button that launches a nuclear weapon it's like a a society of mutated humans that worship the bomb like they are it's literally a golden idol that they have a church about it's always humans they're always the ones who ruin things yeah i like how the how the movies deal with it and this one how it's kind of a little more subtle where they don't really address that but it's still there that like again a kind of inevitable future and it's inevitable because humans are inevitably horrible the worst you know what's interesting though about the series as much as they want to credit apes they never get to human levels of technology like they never evolve to that level all their like evolution is either human aided or just like they use old human stuff they're never inventing nukes that's interesting i'm i'm glad you picked up on that brian because i think that was something when they couldn't translate the book exactly like because the book is like this like it's a Apes are walking around in suits, they're driving cars, they have a stock market. It's like human society, but apes. And the whole thing is that with the human observer, he's actually a reporter in that book. What he observes is that the society hasn't 
grown or changed. It's been stunted ever since the humans have sort of lost their status. And when the apes took over, they are literally aping humanity. Like they are apes and they are aping these movements. They're not adding to anything. It's just like, oh, we should be driving a car because that's what the humans did. So drive a car, act like human, like be that now, like fill that role kind of thing. So that I think is why they set the ape society so far kind of like back in the stone age almost, you know, is because like they're incapable of thinking that advanced, right? Like they can't think like technology in that sense and they will always sort of be uh, stuck. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about. Like there's there's a lot of layers like that here. And my favorite thing that this movie does though is sort of the, again, I'm not comparing them, but uh, I did actually last time that like the thing that the new Jurassic Park movies do where it's like, okay, let's do the opposite thing. Instead of people being in their world, let's put the oddity in our world and see how it goes. And like as a film goer, you have that fantasy originally probably when you like watch the original Planet of the Apes and you think about, oh, what would the opposite be like? And then we see it here. And then they indulge us so well by giving us the fashion montages and stuff like that. That I'm just excited the directions that the film took. There's a lot of goodwill towards the concept of all this as a major mainstream science fiction series. And I don't think there were a whole lot of films here. Maybe James Bond was doing its thing, right? But like, I don't feel like there was a lot of stuff being called like, you know, part four and part five and part six and stuff. So like to get, you know, past the part three, I feel like was pretty rare back then. But I could be wrong. I know Pink Panther had a lot of movies, but... But I also feel like these characters have been and are so well written over the course of their appearances, especially in the first movie and this movie, and are portrayed so incredibly well by just such brilliant actors that you kind of forget their apes sometimes like they're acting so well through the makeup and they have such distinct personalities and they just own these roles so well that like when they die it's just fucking tragic it's just the worst it's such a downer ending but that's also what makes it such a great movie because they could just as easily have like happy ending escaped into space or something but like this is so much more interesting because it's like it's probably how it would really go down <laughs> more or less and this is how shit was going down in the 70s if i'm not mistaken you know like if there was a conspiracy you snuffed it out well mike do mention the acting and just not to do this but to go back to roddy mcdowell if we never do launch Roddy McPodcast. This is someone who deserved at least an honorary Oscar. I know these kind of films did not get nominations for the actors, certainly, uh, at the Academy Awards. I know he's president of the Academy for a time as well. Like, they need to give this man an honorary Oscar. What a career. Again, not to take away of everyone else who's played an ape, but the way they humanize for lack of a better word, the apes here that just, it's just so good. And so I don't want to say ahead of its time, but kind of, I mean, like, look, Andy Serkis has become the king of that with what he does, but I don't know. I just want, again, I want to give a little, I want to give the flowers right now to our ape people actors. Yeah. I mean, I love Roddy McDowell. Kim Hunter's performance is, you know, where, where my heart is. <laughs> um, Cause I, I just, I love her so much, but yeah, this movie I mean, again, I didn't rewatch the other one, so it's hard to compare. But I, I think both of them are just spectacular. They're so good. And I feel like they struck a great balance between actual apes and like kind of a what a mutated, evolved ape in the future would be. And then to have it come around full circle when they land, like if they weren't from the future, if they were just from another planet and actual aliens, this movie I feel would like still work exceedingly well. It might not get as brutal at the end because the future wouldn't entirely depend on it, but it's still like all of its themes I feel are just like still really strong. And again, like I feel like these are a lot of themes that were just being talked about in society in the 70s and stuff, you know, and the next movie is very much going to make a case of uh, civil rights and like they are not going to sugarcoat it one iota. So uh, we get shades of that here as well, for sure. Yeah, just, you know, always just like the fear of the unknown. <laughs> Everything is all on display. Maybe the one thing I love about this movie more than any of the other Planet of the Apes films, and that is the music, the score. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. 
Yeah, it's so good. And when it turns into a thriller, especially, like it, it's really great. It, it feels like it could be in like a Steve McQueen movie, or it can be in like a uh, an episode of of some seventies cop show mm-hmm. or something. Like it, just, it just fits so great. And and you could hear like some of the notes that are you know Planet of the Ape notes. I don't know how else to call it, but like it's like built upon the framework of like some of the music that's come before it, but mm-hmm. like just taken it to such a kick-ass jazzy direction. Yeah, agreed. Before we get to the end, I'm going to ask each of you individually, uh, starting with Austin, scenes that stick out in particular that we haven't talked about that you want to get mentioned before we take off? Yeah, there are at least two scenes where Zira is like directly told not to do something, and then she does it. It's kind of a theme through the whole movie, where they're like, this is the plan, this is what we're not going to tell them, you know, this is what we're going to do. And every time, she's just like fuck that. I'm going to say what I want to say. And those moments are just great to me. Oh, and I love when she like, they pitch her as like a feminist leader where she's like at the women's club. Yeah, women's lib. Yeah, doing that. I I think that's great. Like as if I needed like more reason to love her, like they show her (laughs) like leading a women's club. But yeah, when she first talks, she's just fed up. We need to communicate with these people. And she's just so, I don't know. I just, I like her character so much. I, I love when they're at that committee meeting originally and the guy's like, you know, how do we know Zira isn't just a word in their language? Or like, how do we mm-hmm. know she's not parroting? And then they're like, what about the male? Can he speak? And he's like, only when she lets me. And like, oh, ha, ha. Yeah. And then they, they both laugh. Like it, that relationship too is so sweet. It's such a sweet, genuine love story. You know, that's something I would have just hated in this movie if they like introduce some kind of conflict between Zira and Cornelius. Like their love for each other is just so solid and great. And, you know, they can like kiss humans and <laughs> not be jealous, which is like, I mean, I guess to them, it's like kissing an animal. And in the first Planet of the Apes, when when Taylor like asked to kiss her and she's like, but you're so ugly. I love that. But yeah, that's, I think, the core of the story is their relationship and their love story. And they're, you know, building a family. That's an interesting point about them is that they they quarrel, but they never argue. You know, they're both scientists and doctors, so they respect each other and their opinions and their ideas right on on a certain level maybe it's the chimpanzee society and being a pacifist as well is that like you only mm-hmm. let an argument go so far until you sort of like all right agree to disagree or what what have you but there are i love those moments where she catches him off guard and uh you know like when she's like i loathe bananas and he's like wait what I, you talk <laughs> yeah. like you're not supposed to talk yet but oh well that's my wife like yeah yeah exactly so i don't know i mean i love the shopping montage Yes, we can never mention that enough, people. I mean, uh, hopefully that's just uh, isolated on YouTube somewhere. If you want to see the shopping montage and the bubble bath and uh, sitting in the robe, smoking a pipe, I believe. Mm-hmm. like It's all amazing. Oh, the poor Dr. Milo getting killed by like maybe maybe cinema's worst <laughs> worst gorilla costume ever i mean that's worse than the end of trading places there's some bad gorilla costumes in cinema but this one is is not good no. uh, just as to the charm um just as yeah, to the charm, to the charm. <laughs> i love ricardo montalban in it too yes i'm glad he shows up so late in the movie and that he's just like so on their side is just amazing and they give him time to justify it, you know? Like, they give him time to, like, say, like, you know, I don't believe we should affect the future. Like, what an amazing just leader of a circus, right, who thinks that deeply. Mm-hmm. I-, I love it. And the fact that, like, we know this is a character that will continue um, to the next one at least, right? Yes. But, yeah, he's so great how he's like, a talking ape? Sure, why not? Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, and he says apes are eventually going to dominate humans. Okay. <laughs> You know, like, that's how it's going to be then, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, he's really great. So definitely want to give a shout out to him. Brian, any other very standout moments that affected you that we have yet to talk about? 
I wanted to shout out the actor John Randolph, who plays like the leader of the committee. Mike, we talked about him once on this podcast because he's uh, Clark's father in Christmas Vacation. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in a ton of stuff. Um, uh, he's also, shout out to the podcast Around the Corner on this network, the Nora Ephron podcast. He plays, and and of course, Hanks for the Memories, how could I forget? He plays Hanks' father and You've Got Mail. So this guy had a career, you know, like that's a long time to be acting like that. So, I don't know, he looks the same. You know who else is in this movie? I recognize immediately a young M. Emmett Walsh, who you will definitely recognize from just about everything. One of the biggest character actors in American history. Oh, yeah. Well, the Coen Brothers mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted more of him. I got because he's in the very beginning. He has such a distinct voice. Yeah, it would have been cool if he came back to help break them out at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why not? I like um, that there's like sort of this priest on the congressional committee. And I think a lot of people today would look at that and be like, why is there a priest there? That's silly. I don't, I think it was the 70s that the Catholic Church like finally told all its priests that they cannot serve in government positions because there was actually priests who were like congressmen up until like that Mm. time, whenever it was. So not as far fetched as it might seem in this movie. I love. And they mention it, so it's not like it's a weird thing about the movie, but I love how the one doctor, like the good vet slash doctor guy, directs him to that old shipyard. And he's like, I used to play here as a kid. What kind of childhood did this guy have where he played in in an old abandoned shipyard? Like, I want to know that guy's story. That is a fun detail, like (laughs) kind of hidden detail. She even makes a comment. Well, I'm glad they did. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fact that like post-apocalyptic apes in their world can call out this dude's fucked up childhood is amazing. <laughs> and then like the bad doctor dude, like the fact that he goes from a man of science to like literally hunting them in the end is so eerie. And like just he becomes a stone yeah. cold killer. Um what's the liner of that? Yeah, he's he becomes a baby killer. Well yeah, that shooting the baby is so brutal. Like I I can't believe they got away with it. Because he shoots it like three times. Yeah, and then when when they show it, they actually show the bundle getting hit. I never realized before <laughs> you see like the ape head kind of sticking out of the bundle to be like no no he's shooting the baby (laughs) what do you think of zira's choice to make the switch and then put like sort of this innocent less developed chimp baby at risk instead i think it's very questionable (laughs) (laughs) okay okay i'm glad i'm not the only one yeah because the chimp mother has no idea what's going on right it would be different if the chimp mom was like you know the the one at the circus was like hey zira you know like sign language and stuff like take my baby it's for the future like make the switch i choose the (laughs) sacrifice but like you know that didn't happen yeah well zira says she's like we understand each other or or she understands me or something they try kind of try and set up that they're like communicating in a way but it's not that convincing like (laughs) we don't really know for sure I love Zira unconditionally, but it is morally questionable. (laughs) It's pretty fucked up what she does. She switches it out with the expectation that they're all going to be killed, most likely. They take a gun with them, assuming it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Man. And they couldn't just leave it at the circus because there would be too many questions of like, well, who is this chimp and who's its mom? Because I think they just didn't have like a surrogate mom to like pretend or whatever i mean i don't i don't know how many like papers they have to forge at the circus but that was the impression i got if there are two eight babies there that would be too suspicious so there has to be just one so she you know switches out her own i think they do set this up though in a sense where he's like this is the only baby born in the circus ever that's true yeah he's always bragging about that (laughs) this is what i'm assuming right like she's thinking if they kill me and they do an autopsy and they see that i don't i'm not pregnant anymore right that i've given birth they're probably just going to kill every chimp baby in the united states anyway well that also brings Mm -hmm. me to question like why didn't they just take out the baby at the circus you know like they let that baby go like they're a hundred percent sure I would be doing that anyway, Brian. You know, I'd be getting, I'd be, be going back and, and, you know, burning every copy of Nosferatu. Like, you got to go and make sure that every chimp baby born within the last day or so or week or whatever. That'd be pretty bleak. 
<laughs> yeah, no, true. Then you want to get the classic ending of mama, mama. <laughs> yeah, they got to get that. You know, to what you're saying about like Ricardo Montalban, like advertising this is it's the first ape born in a circus. That was probably part of the show. So he probably does have like a press release or, mm. or posters or something, you know, like something that predates Zira's pregnancy or at least them knowing that she is pregnant that advertises like we definitely have like a registered baby chimp here that is not the new one (laughs) you know there's no way that they could dispute that this particular chimp right yeah belongs at this circus yeah so do you guys think that zira let anyone else in on this i don't think so ricardo montalban no i think he figures it out immediately because of the necklace Oh, right. It's got the necklace. Yeah. So I think he knows pretty much immediately, but I don't think she told Cornelius. Interesting. But there's something with her because she throws the baby in the water. Right. There's something there. I don't know. Like she's trying to like destroy evidence or something. I don't know exactly what the reason is, but it's something I, I was trying to figure out is like, what is she trying to accomplish? In some way, she's trying to like destroy evidence or hoping the baby will like not be found or they won't bother to dig it up and like autopsy it and somehow like discover that it's not, you know, the one they were looking for. They don't make it clear like why it happens. Yeah, because it's all this is all before like DNA testing. So right. I was like, is she trying to decompose it somehow to the point where they get it and they can't, you know, analyze it, the remains or something? But it's yeah, just that's my theory. Just raising more questions. It's <laughs> like that's just dark. She's just like giving it a burial at sea. The way it comes across is instead like she's just tossing it aside. But I I think there's you know more to it than that. Oh boy, well. Pretty dark, pretty bleak ending there. Although not entirely for the apes because little Caesar survives. He will grow up and unfortunately for humanity, he will lead the revolt and the rise of the apes. And this is all going to happen. It's unstoppable, folks. Judgment Day has just been moved. Mm -hmm. That's all. (laughs) What do you guys think? That sounds like a pretty good place to wrap it up for tonight. Yeah. Thank you both for joining me on this adventure. I really had a fun talking about this. A lot of fun questions, uh, some fun answers. Maybe we'll get back together and do a whole proper episode on War for the Planet of the Apes one day. But, you know, this was good. This is good for now. I'm glad we finally got to talk about this Planet of the Apes movie, Mm -hmm. Escape from the Planet of the Apes. You just reminded me of it talking about War of the Planet of the Apes. I do really like the new movies, but one thing that I was very distraught by is none of the new movies reference Zira specifically. So there are like a billion Easter eggs and like references to the original series. And there's just like with people's names and all this stuff, but they never like acknowledge even in like an Easter egg type way. There's no homage or tribute to the character of Zira, which I find devastating. There's like a female ape named Cornelia or something. And it's like, come on. In the War of the Apes, they find some kid and its name is Nova. Like just because... Yeah, they're referencing Nova. (laughs) Come on. So yeah, you just reminded me that that was one thing that I wanted to, to mention about that I found disappointing about the new movies. Before we go... It is time to do some where can we find you? Austin Will Southern, where can we find you out on the internet if people are so inclined? You can find me on Patreon at The Truth About Cats and Brats. I do video reviews and ramble about movies. And you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Wolf Southern. It's just my name, Wolf Southern, no you and Southern, no space between the two words. And uh, oh, and on Letterboxd as number one Bratz fan. Excellent. And Brian Rodriguez, where can people find you? Uh, right here on this show, because I'm on, on it quite a lot. But also High School Slumber Party, which both of you have been on quite recently. And my other show with you, Mike, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. Check those shows out. And social media on Twitter at Rodriguez, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. Thank you both so much for joining me tonight. And until next time, it's a madhouse. A madhouse. That's from the first movie. Three. That's a magic number. Three. It is. It's the magic number. Three. Three. They stubbing me. And that's a magic number. What does it all mean?